Welcome everyone to the mightiest podcast in the nine realms, metas and mutants. I am Tombstone the Dead Man, and this is my fellow Justice Leaguer, Cyrus the Virus. What up? We have a bunch of stuff to cover today, so let's kind of jump into it. Um, but before we do, just one second before we do, you know what I watched the other day? What did you watch? I watched Crisis on Two Earths, the DC animated uh, 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 movie. Nice. Listen, I maintain, and I, this is a hill I'm willing to die on, that the fight scene between Owlman and Batman is probably top five fight scenes in any animation I've ever seen. Period. Top five. The only pe- the only the only fight scene I think that can even come close is some of the shit that Wonder Woman did in, in one of them her animated um uh movies. But that fight I was haven't crazy. seen that one yet. Oh I got you. Bro, I got you. I got you. But man, I will say this, DC's animated game is on point. Right. I still say one of my favorite DC animated ones is uh Justice League versus Teen Titans. Oh, dude, it's so awesome. And that that whole fight at the start where Damien kind of recognizes is like the only one that Batman didn't or the only one who was willing to go as far as they needed to was Batman when he poisoned himself with Bane Venom when they were all infected by Trigon. <laughs> yeah, I remember. Yeah. And everyone's like, yo, you can't just say that. And it's like, it's cool. And then you just kind of went out of their way to like <laughs> take down Cyborg nice and early. And it's like, all right. Dude, it's just too awesome. Like, <laughs> now see, now you're going to make me want to watch that again. Um, But yeah, man, like, for, for any of you that have never seen, and I can't imagine there's too many comic book geeks that have seen at least one DC animated movie, you need to go and check that out because DC is to animation what Marvel is to the cinema in that lane. Like, they have done oh, yeah. some spectacular work, you know. So go check that out. We got a couple of news stories. and something that's kind of sad, uh, but we'll get to that. Um during the course of uh, doing the stories. So I'm going to let you do the first one. All right. The first one is Zack Snyder reveals which Robin died in the DCEU that was teased in Batman versus Superman. Ooh, man. Listen, this is what I needed. (laughs) Everyone assumed it was always Jason Todd. Right. Because... That's the one who dies in the comics. Right. Joker kills him. Right. And in the Dawn of Justice, you just see a Robin suit. And this says, spray painted on it. Ha ha, joke's on you, Batman. Oh, man. And it was kind of an Easter egg. A Robin died. And it's yeah. Like, so the article starts, an Easter egg in Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice, implied that Robin was already dead in the DC Extended Universe. Thanks to director Zack Snyder, we now know which Robin met his maker. Answering fan questions on Vero, Snyder confirmed it was, in fact, Dick Grayson, not Jason Todd, who died prior to the events of Dawn of Justice, and that it is his suit that hangs in the Batcave. This clears up an earlier, earlier comments from Suicide Squad director David Iyer, who gave the impression that Jason Todd was dead. And then it shows a couple of tweets outright. Right. One from at Maruf Hussein. Mm Mm-hmm. 
did you mean to say Jason Todd when asked which Robin is dead? David Iyer said Jason was dead in Suicide Squad. Zack Snyder responded, no, Dick Grayson. Mm. There was a follow-up question. Did you have plans to dive deeper into the background of Dick's death in your future movies? Maybe Justice League. Zack Snyder's like, yes, there was supposed to be a hint in Justice League. So now I got to go back and watch Justice League. Is that what you're telling me? Well, I don't think it made the The current cut cut of Justice Ah. League, so it might be part of the Snyder cut. Oh, man. Now, listen. When when I'm seeing Or it it also says here, it's like they're not sure if he's referring to, like, the Justice League that he did or the canceled Justice League part two. Oh, okay. Because there was supposed to be a second Justice League from Snyder, and that kind of got canceled because the DC movies have all kind of they've all sort of been in flux. Very few of them have been successful. Right, right. Commercially for at least enough for Warner Brothers to warrant doing it. Facts. Damn, not nah, dick. Yo. Like, I mean, I will say this. It, it's cool him to think outside of the box with that and make it dick, but now does that mean that we will never have a Nightwing over there? Um, or will Nightwing just be, uh, I don't know, maybe somebody else that um, Batman takes on, you know, under his wing? It's, you know what? I honestly don't know where Warner Brothers is going to go with the yeah, DCEU. Really so who knows? Because, yeah, I mean, it's a good point. we've already had Ben Affleck as Batman. Now we're getting Robert Pattinson as Batman, and that's still going to be the same universe from right. what I understand. So we, I have no idea what they're going to do with this because one of our later articles also touches on Batman a little bit. Right. I mean, to be honest, does anyone really know what Warner Brothers? Do, I Dude, really don't. Warner think they Brothers know. doesn't even know what they're doing. I knew you was gonna say. I knew you were gonna. Dude, I feel that way too, though, man. I feel like they don't even know which way they're gonna go with this shit, man. Which is probably, you know, one of the reasons why they haven't. Most of them haven't done all that well. You know. Yeah. That shit is crazy. That's crazy. So, uh, rest in peace, Dick Grayson, uh, DC Cinematic Universe. I would like to see a flashback or something, how he buy, how he buys the farm or whatever, but I don't know if they'll ever get around to doing that or not. Um, yeah. Tough to say. It's tough to say. So, um, the second story, this one, I am just, I'm actually hyped about this. DC announces Fandome event. A completely virtual online event accessible for free. Supposed to involve announcements from TV, movies, video games, and comics for the next few years. Including things from The Batman, Wonder Woman 1984, Black Adam, and The Snyder Cut. Alright, so the article goes on to say, Buckle up superhero fans, as DC has announced its biggest ever online event. With San Diego Comic-Con, we got to go there. We really have to go there one of these days. We do. Um, With San Diego Comic-Con going online this year, DC has decided to start its own virtual event, Fandome, which will be accessible by anyone for free. No badge required. For 24 hours, the website will be accessible around the world, offering offering fans at the biggest movies, TV shows, 
and comics coming over the next few years. Warner Brothers has pulled out all the stops when it comes to the movies they will be showing off at the event, including the Batman, Jack Snyder's Justice League, The Suicide Squad, and Wonder Woman 1984. While talent has yet to be officially confirmed, Dwayne Johnson, a.k.a. the People's Champ The Rock, has confirmed he'll be part of the event to promote his anti-villain movie Black Adam, which I'm actually kind of anxious to um, see, to be honest. Um, Honestly, I think it's just a repeat of the Scorpion King. They better not do that. Um, That would be horrible. It's the same storyline. It it basically is the same area of the world. Yeah, yeah, it's the same actor. Yeah, you got a point. You got a good point. Can't argue that. Can't really argue that. Uh, The official release teases new announcements from Warner Brother Games, film, and TV, and comics, including Aquaman, The Batman, Batwoman, Black Adam, uh, Black Lightning, DC Superhero Girls, DC Legends of Tomorrow, DC Stargirl, which I've been watching, Doom Patrol, The Flash, Harley Quinn, Lucifer, Pennyworth, Shazam, The Snyder Cut, The Suicide Squad, Supergirl, Superman and Lois, Teen Titans Go, Titans, Watchmen, Young Justice, Outsiders, and Wonder Woman 1984. That is a lot of IP for them to not have a lot of winners. That's crazy. Um, well, to be fair, that includes, like, I believe Lucifer is now Netflix. Same with... Oh, so, I want, now, so uh, are they Black saying... Lightning is Netflix. Like, it's covering all the Warner Brothers-associated stuff. So right? I'm like, wondering, are we going to get another Lightning season is, of Lucifer? Uh, maybe. Uh, hold on a second here. I think we are, actually. Because I would... Because I, I, I know they've confirmed season five is supposed to be out this year. Okay. Okay. And I think, yes, they did uh, officially confirm season six as well. Oh, I'm 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 good with that. Like I, I like Lucifer. I know he's not exactly, of course, like the comic book version. The comic book version is so op that it's you know I don't even know that they could have. Well, I, I'm gonna stop saying that because I feel like competent writers should be able to find a way to utilize what he is in the comic books and get them as close there as possible because they did it with Constantine, you know, so they could probably do Lucifer. It's just that this yeah. version of Lucifer, they focused on the stuff that's highly marketable about him. And yeah, yeah you know, it's, it's definitely only loosely based on the comics. Right. Loosely. Yeah. Seriously. But it's still a great series. No, I, I enjoy it. A lot. Like I've watched it. Like, I've, I've binge watched the episodes a couple of times now because I, I like I like the fucking show. Oh um, yeah, you know. But yeah, you also look like Supergirl and the spinoff Superman and Lois for like Arrowverse. Yeah, same yeah, with yeah. Legends of Tomorrow and Star Girl and Doom Patrol, The Flash. And I actually like Star Girl, so you know what? I'm yeah, they, 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 yeah. These are and it just looks like movies. Harley Quinn and Teen Titans Go are definitely animate the animated ones. Titans would be the one that was like kind of Netflix, right? Yeah. So it and Young Justice Outsiders, isn't that like the that's uh, next season of the animated one? Yeah, that's that's well. from the that's on their app, the DC uh, Universe app. So is uh so yeah, Star Girl. So yeah, it looks like they're covering everything they're doing. Okay, so th- just, this might be interesting. Not just DCEU, it's everything. Yeah, th- this might be very interesting. I'm, like I said, I'm excited about this. Plus, it's going to be free too. I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong, I was probably going to be willing to pay. For the San Diego online thing, to be honest, but um, th- them offering this for free, that's pretty dope to give us that type of content. It's kind of a game changer there. Yeah, it is. It really is. Um, 
One of the more surprising entries there, there is Watchmen. While the main series and Doomsday Clock spinoff comic series finished a while back, HBO released a sequel TV series that introduced new characters and added context to familiar ones. While showrunner Damian Lindahl, Lindolf, I guess, um, has been ambivalent about being involved with a second season himself, he previously said that another creator could come on board and take over the reins. Perhaps another announcement is incoming? For the meantime, all we can do is speculate about the reveals that will come with the Mega Fan event, which begins August 22nd at 10 a.m. Pacific time and will be accessible for 24 hours at dcfandom.com. I gotta uh, make a, uh, a reminder for this, notification reminder for this. The event oh, will yeah. feature six different virtual areas, each with their own full programs. That's pretty dope, man. I'm looking forward to that. I really am. So, alright, what's next? Okay, next up. Marvel rumored to have plans to bring in Firestar into the MCU. Uh, I'm conflicted now, about this. Now, this one is another one of the mutants, right. but it's a character that debuted in the cartoon show Spider-Man and his yeah, amazing friends. Yeah, and she was not actually an X-Men ever. She, she, uh, she, she was a teacher for a bit. Oh, she so she did teach there. Okay. She, she she taught there. She is a mutant. It was just she was never really on one of the X-Men teams. Got you. Got you. Okay, so a new rumor suggests the Marvel character Firestar, who debuted on the Spider-Man and his Amazing Friends TV show, could be in line for an MCU appearance. The report comes from Mikey Sutton of the Lords of the Longbox. <laughs> but it's like, if the new rumor is to be believed, one of Spider-Man's amazing friends could be making her way to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. According to noted scooper Daniel Rickman, a.k.a. Daniel RPK, Marvel Studios could have plans for the character of Firestar. There is a plan to introduce Firestar into the MCU, he wrote on his Patreon. No information has been provided regarding whether these supposed plans involve Firestar appearing on the big screen or on Disney+. Plus. Mm. Additionally, while Rickman often provides accurate information pertaining to behind-the-scenes happenings in the worlds of film, this, like all rumors, should be taken with a grain of salt. And that's honestly just good advice for anything, not just Absolutely. Anything they have in, yeah, anything If, they if have you hear a rumor, if you cannot verify from an official source not just people who happen to know people behind right, the scenes right you should just take it with a grain of salt even if it is someone where daniel rickman is fairly well connected there right it's so it's like if he says it there's definitely a higher chance of it being true but right. it doesn't mean that it's it necessarily is. the case yeah yeah i mean i don't like i said i'm conflicted because i, I don't know how they're going to introduce her um but I can say that, you know, uh, I have good memories of Firestar and that that whole cartoon. Like literally, I would that was that was how I ended my Saturday cartoon experience. Um, back when Saturday cartoons were a thing, yeah, man. Like you ended, I ended mine with uh, Spider Man, his amazing friends. And then I went outside. That one <laughs> you know? was definitely a bit before my time, oh, but yeah. I've still seen a few episodes of it. It's you know what there. they they have it on um. The Disney, Disney Plus. Plus. It's one of the ones I actually plan on watching soon. Yeah, I think I think you'll you'll appreciate the humor. 
um, and some of the lengths they went to introduce other MC, you know, uh, MCU characters. Well, not MCU characters, but you know, Marvel comics. Marvel characters. characters. Yeah, they they did they did stuff with Thor and Loki and 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 just a bunch of characters that I didn't think that they would ever introduce or anyone was interested in using. They actually used so. It's pretty. It's pretty. It's a pretty dope little show. But of course, the animation is a bit dated, in some respects. Yeah, but I watched yeah, it again. Yeah, I've seen that. That's probably the main reason I haven't actively watched it yet. Yeah, it's it's a little it's a little dated. Also, I would say the um some of the action pieces. So you know, and just just like in movies, um, animation has the same type thing with you know making the fight scenes a certain type of way. Well, the fight scenes back then, they weren't as elaborate as what you see in animation now. But like I said, overall, maybe because of the nostalgia factor, it was enjoyable for me to watch it again. So, yeah. Yeah, I'll definitely have to watch that and see if the storylines, if nothing else, if the storylines yeah, hold Yeah, up. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so next is rather sad news. Um, Joel... Schumacher, director of Batman Forever and Batman and Robin, dies at age 80. Um, um, this has been reported by Variety, by the way. Because, you know, you always hear uh, rumors of people's deaths. Yeah, this one was... Yeah, this is confirmed. We have the Variety article here, but there was also like IGN reporting on yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. There was a lot of comicbook.com reported on it. CBR reported on it. Like, yeah. It's confirmed. It, it, it's big news in the in the nerd universe. Yeah, absolutely. So it was reported on anything comics related. Absolutely. So the article says uh, Joel Schumacher, costume designer turned director of films, including St. Elmo's Fire, The Lost Boys, and Fallen Down, as well as two Batman films, died in New York City on Monday morning after a year-long battle with cancer. He was 80. Schumacher brought his fashion uh, background to directing a run of stylish films throughout the 1980s and 1990s that were not always critically acclaimed, but continued to be well-loved by audiences for capturing the feel of the era. Schumacher was handed the reins of the Batman franchise when Tim Burton exited Warner Brothers. Cape Crusader series, after two enormously successful films, the first movie by Schumacher, Batman Forever, starring Val Kimmer, Tommy Lee Jones, Jim Carrey, and Nicole Kidman grossed more than $300 million worldwide. And for that time, that's, that was a yeah, lot. That's a lot. that's a lot of money. That, that was like hitting close to a billion yeah, nowadays. Yeah, absolutely. So that was, that was still a big movie It was back big. Then. It was big. Um, Schumacher's second and last film in the franchise was 1997's Batman and Robin with George Clooney as Batman and Arnold Schwarzenegger as, as villain Mr. Freeze. For Batman Forever, the openly gay Schumacher introduced nipples to the costumes worn by Batman and Robin, leaning into the long-standing latent homoeroticism between the two characters. In 2006, Clooney told Barbara Walters that he had played Batman as gay. I didn't know that. I, I, did you did you know that? I didn't know that's what he had done. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the acting, it, it definitely kind of... Looking back on it, mm -hmm. you can kind of see some of the stereotypes that were sort of portrayed. And right. I'm, like, see, even the scene where, what was it, Robin 
went to go make out with Poison Ivy and yeah. Batman's like, oh, you shouldn't do anything with her. Right. You know what? So it's like, I can kind of see it even if it wasn't like super blatantly obvious. Right, right. See, the only problem is now I'm curious about what, what these, what other things he may have added in there. But the problem is I hated that movie. I don't want to sit through that. <laughs> I don't want to sit through that again. You just don't want to stare at the nipples. <laughs> no, nah, I'm not interested in that either. But um, I de- the movie was just so bad. Um, to be honest with you, I really wasn't a, a huge fan of either one. But I did like the first one, Batman and Robin, better than, what was that, Batman Forever? No, Batman and Robin. I liked that a little bit better. Um, so several years after Batman, after the Batman debacle, Schumacher directed the feature adaptation of Andrew Lloyd Webber's musical, The Phantom of the Opera. Despite tepid reviews, it received three Oscar noms. In 1985, Schumacher struck gold with his third feature film, St. Elmo's Fire, which he directed and co-wrote Brat Packers, including Rob Lowe, Emilio Estevez, and Ali Sheedy, as well as a young Demi Moore starred in the story of a bunch of Georgetown grads making their way through life and love. Even the theme song was a hit, it was. And it still plays to invoke the era. The film offered a pretty smart take on the complexities of post-college life. I never saw that movie because there's nothing in it that interested me. His next film was a big hit as well. Yeah, I like this. Horror comedy, The Lost Boys, about a group of young vampires who dominate a small California town starring Jason Patrick, uh, Kiefer Sutherland, Corey Feldman, and Corey Ham. It became a cult favorite, and a TV series adaptation has long been in the works. Schumacher had a high-concept screenplay by Peter Velarde and an A-list cast, Julia Roberts, Kiefer Sutherland, Kevin Bacon, William Baldwin, damn, for the 1990 horror thriller Flatliners. And again, I remember this movie, I just didn't go see it. About arrogant medical students experimenting with life and death. And the director hit it fairly big again, with a domestic cum of... 61 million bucks. Not bad for back then. Um, but that was domestic, so I'm wondering what, what he did globally. Uh, while those hits captured the era well, others during that period were misfires, such as the 1989 remake of the French hit Cousin Cousin? Cousin? Is that, is that, that's how you pronounce that? Um, uh, cousine. Okay, Cousin. Called Cousins and, and starring, no wonder it flopped, and starring Ted Danson. <laughs> That's all you had to tell me right there. And Isabella Rossellini um, and the sentimental Dying Young starring Roberts and Campbell Scott. But in 1993, he showed what he was capable of with the critically hailed Fallen Down starring Michael Douglas as a defense worker who lost it all and decides to take it out on whomever he comes across. Okay, real quick. True story. I related so much to Fallen Down that... There is a EP that actually is kind of inspired by that that I did back then in 93. And, of course, it's something I would never release now because the sound quality was horrible. But that's how much that that movie inspired me. Just even though we were coming at it, I guess the Michael Douglas character and I was coming at that at two, from two completely different, you know, uh, life ex, um, perspectives. But I related to that shit so fucking much. 
it's a good movie, and if you haven't seen it, I don't know how well it plays now. I haven't seen it in a while, but I would check it out anyway, just to see some of the themes in there that are still probably relatable now. Um, the film played in competition at the Cannes Film Festival. The New York Times said the film exemplifies a quintessentially American kind of pop movie, make, making that with skill and wit, sends up a stereotypical attitudes um, while also exploiting them with insidious effect. Falling Down is glitzy, casually cruel, hip and grim. It's sometimes very funny, often nasty in a way it manipulates one's darkest feelings. Schumacher's next film was also a solid hit, The Client, based on John Grissom's novel, was a highly effective legal thriller that also boasted terrific re rapport between Susan Sarandon's lawyer and her 11-year-old client, the boy played by Brad Renf Brad Renfro? Where have I heard that name before? Who witnessed the murder. I wonder if he was in anything else after that. Between the two Batman films, Schumacher directed another Grissom adaptation, A Time to Kill, which sported a terrific cast, including Samuel L. Jackson, the GOAT, uh, Kevin Spacey, Sandra Bullock, Ashley Judd, and a career jump-starting turn Oh wait a minute! Was this his first film? A career yes. get the fuck a career jump starting uh, turn by a young Matthew McConaughey. That's crazy! Wow! And while not without its own weaknesses, asked important questions about race. After the second Batman, he made a, a much darker, smaller scale thriller, Eight Millimeter. I remember that, which followed a, a miscast Nicolas Cage. <laughs> Listen, Nicholas Cage is never miscast. You know exactly what you're getting with him. <laughs> that's, that's true. That's true. That... <laughs> if you cast him in mind, you have to know exactly you know what's going to happen. You know what you're getting. Come on. Stop playing. Um, <laughs> miscast Nicholas Cage as a family man detective, private detective in pursuit of those who made what appears to be a snuff film. His next film, 1999's Flawless, about a homophobic cop who suffered a stroke, played by Robert De Niro, and the drag-wearing Philip Seymour Hoffman, um, was formulatic. The odd couple, who couldn't be more different, find out they have a lot in common, but it sported excellent performances by the leads and certainly had heart. Switching gears dramatically, Schumacher made Tigerland, starring a young Colin Furrow, in the story of young recruits preparing to go off to Vietnam. It had a gritty look, but while some critics saw an earnest quality, others saw cynicism. Schumacher's 2012 thriller, Phone Booth, never seen it, which reunited the director with Colin Farrell and Kiefer Sutherland and intriguingly trapped Farrell's anti-hero in the title New York City Phone Booth for almost all of the film's running time. Had critics and audiences alike talking, even if the ending was a cop-out. Damn, that's... I did not like that movie. I remember watching it, but I was not a fan of that one i've never for seen that it. reason it it like takes place in a phone booth yeah come on come on come on, come on Schumacher. what are you doing um his other films include action it bad company uh starring anthony hopkins and chris rock veronica what is that last name Garen. Garen. uh starring kate blanchett oh shit as a journalist crusading rather recklessly against the Irish drug trade and Jim Curry thriller, the number 23 and trespass starring Nicolas Cage and Nicole Kidman. Schumacher started out in showbiz as a costume designer, earning credits on 1972's Play It As It Lays, Herbert Ross and The Last of Sheila, 
Paul Mazarsky, Skies, uh, Bloom and Love, Woody Allen, Boo, Sleeper, 1973, and Interiors, 1978, and 1975, Neil Simon adaptation, The Prisoner of Second Avenue. He was also credited as a production designer on the 1974 TV horror film Killer Bees. I want to skip past a lot of this. Um, Let's go towards the end. Schumacher directed a couple episodes of House of Cards, and I did not know that. In 2013 and in 2015, he executive produced the series Do Not Disturb Hotel Horrors. Is that on Netflix? I don't know. Maybe. Hmm. Uh, Image, the International Film Festival of the Art of Cinematography, awarded Schumacher a special award in 2010. He also received the Distinguished Collaborator Award at the Costume Designers Guild's Awards in 2011. So, yeah. Rest in peace, Joe. You contributed... Would say pretty mightily to geek culture. I mean, he had uh, those were big movies. Those were big time. movies, Let's right? Honest, like the only movies we had really gotten were the Tim Burton Batman's Howard the Duck, and right. you know a couple of Superman movies. Yeah, right? like, yeah. Before that, you have to dig into like the old Annie movies, which people may not realize was based off of comics. Facts. So Facts. I mean, like. He, you have a very limited range, and that was kind of the start because that was like what ninety six, like ninety five, ninety six. That was probably where you started getting interest in X Men. That's when you got interest in Blade. Right. So, so he kind of helped kickstart that, even if it was overall a minor role at the time. It was a huge part. Yeah, gotta give him, gotta give him credit for that. Seriously, gotta give him credit for that. Yeah. So, what's next? Next up is Michael Keaton in talks to play Batman in Ezra Miller's Flashpoint movie. Wow. So, this is where I also mentioned a bit earlier about how another Batman might possibly involved at some point. Right, right. Because, and again, this is another one where does DCU and Warner Brothers know what they're doing? Because <laughs> they, they mentioned like a year ago or something like that, that mm-hmm. the Flash movie was actually canceled. And yeah. now it's they're yeah, doing Flashpoint instead, which may have actually been more brought on from how successful the Arrow, you the know CW. What? You know what? Uh, I could Flash, see that. I could see that. How they did that one. And they even had Ezra Miller cameo in one of the episodes there so that may have been a kick point to hey we can kind of still make this work right 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 so the movie comics and tv news cycle keeps getting better dc for for dc fans lately first dc fans won their war in getting Zack snyder's justice league released on hbo max in 2021 then, Warner Brothers announced an exciting DC Fandome event for August. Yay. Now, exclusive news of an upcoming film will have the biggest DC Comics fans quite excited. Michael Keaton is going to play Batman in the Flashpoint movie. Keaton is in talks to play Bruce Wayne in the film, but the deal has not yet been completed to bring him into the film just yet. Hmm. Flashpoint film will star Ezra Miller as The Flash and pick up his DCEU ties, which began in Batman vs. Superman Dawn of Justice and continued in Justice League. Right. The Flashpoint movie will seemingly tie the DC Cinematic Universe together, including Batman and Batman Returns star Keaton, 
uh, reprising his role as the Cape Crusader. Keaton last suited up as the DC Comics hero in 1992. He is still in early talks for the part, but it will see him portray Bruce Wayne in a story which pulls the multiverse together. Something DC's live-action properties first dipped into with the CW's Crisis crossover. awesome, by the way. It was awesome. Keaton has seen an impressive resurgence in his career. Ironically, after starring in Birdman, he has appeared in the Spider-Man films as The Vulture. Perfect in that role, too, by the way. Oh, nailed it. Yeah, he nailed it. Birdman compiled a handful of former superhero film actors in a movie about an actor who once portrayed a superhero in film and essentially grew to hate the idea of it. He will be reprising the role of Vulture in Morbius out Hmm. in theaters in 2021. Hmm. There is no word on what this could mean with other actors which might have portrayed a version of Batman in Flashpoint. Jeffrey Dean Morgan portrayed Thomas Wayne in Batman vs. Superman a character who becomes Batman in the Flashpoint comic story, and Ben Affleck is the actor who portrayed Bruce Wayne with Miller's Barry Allen in previous films. Whether or not either will reprise their respective roles is currently unknown. So I gotta the say... The Flash is currently set for June 2nd, 2022. So I gotta say, um, I'm not mad if they get Michael Keaton to do that, play an older, older Batman, and here's the reason. Michael Keaton, with age, is a way better actor now Oh yeah. than he was when he was in those um, other Batman movies. Way better actor now. And I feel like the part of, of the, those early Batman films that he was weak in was the, was the fight scenes. They, they were very limited um, to, I guess, what the actor could do or how much they was willing to have a uh, stuntman go in there and really show off how bad Batman will beat your ass, man. Like, and I didn't, yeah. I didn't see he didn't seem all that physically intimidating to me, simply because of the way uh, it was played. It's not that Michael Keaton um, didn't do a good job as Bruce Wayne; he did. It's just that I don't know, man. They they went with a very subdued, uh, physically version of him, but. He doesn't need to do all that as an older Batman. He literally needs to sell that role as an aging, you know, uh, 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 cynical former hero. And he can do that. Batman Beyond type thing. Right, right. He can pull pull that off. That might be dope as fuck. The downside is, is like they mentioned, Jeffrey Dean Morgan... I know. Did play Batman's dad, and I think he could absolutely nail. Yes, he could. A flat, a comics flashpoint. Yes, he could. He absolutely. Come on, Thomas Wayne. Yes, but, he could. Because yes, we don't know if it's technically Bruce Wayne or if he's playing Thomas Wayne or right. what's going on. Right. We don't know. Right. Yeah, Jeff. But Jeffrey did. It, it begs into question because if you're going for an older Batman, you already have Ben Affleck. Facts. And. I don't think he did that bad in the role. No, I, yo, he, I, I was me. actually impressed with yeah, him. I, Cause you remember early on, we talked about this, um, back then I was like, Ben Affleck, who we about to do daredevil again? I know one wants to see that. And then I watched it. And despite all the other flaws and in, in the movie, he was not one. He of wasn't them. one of them. And, and that's what I'll argue with daredevil too. He was not necessarily no, he wasn't the, the problem. problem. He wasn't given the problem. How bad the writing of the, yeah, 
he wasn't the problem. Is, he, he was the reason it was as tolerable as it was. Right. And right. I will stand by that. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. I, it was everything so, around that. You know? So I was kind of expecting him to still do fairly well. Well, he definitely and I, nailed honestly, it. I liked I liked him in his limited appearances more than I liked the Christian Bale. Batman. Same. And I you know what it is. I think I'm so I'm so goddamn uh, I'm such a hammer. So I'm thinking the main reason why I liked him better, the physicality. You know how long I've been waiting for them to really show Batman's physicality on screen? And I gotta oh, say, yeah. that Ben Affleck's version of Batman will kick the complete shit out of any version of Batman that came before him. Just, oh, for sure. You know, I, I think the problem is, is like you had the Adam West Batman. Yeah, it's classic. Like the original classic. live action one, mm-hmm. and that was less physical more campy yeah. and that's kind of where they went with the movies it's like yeah this is the one everybody knows right, so right, this right. is what we're going off of and we all love where, adam west so they say figured well we'll give them this is what they love right so give them this yeah yeah and like they were going off of that rather than how he is in the comics and now that nowadays everybody reads comics so it's not uncommon to see a lot more of the comic references like again he is far more physical back in the 90s mm-hmm. hell even during the original x-men movie like the 2001 the actors were straight up told not to read the comics i remember that so when who, you're getting who was the like, director that of that by the way i forget his name i think it was uh brian singer it was brian singer Let, can I just sit real which is weird because he's done some pretty good work with a lot of these kinds he, of movies i feel before, like but, he set the tone for a lot yeah. of shitty X-Men stuff that we put up with because that's all we had. You know yeah. what I'm saying? But we, we also don't know how much of that was Fox because that's even true. after he left, a lot of the Fox movies outside of the solo Wolverine movies that's true. have been pretty bad. Pretty, pretty bad. I agree. I agree. Like, look, look what they did to Deadpool and Origins. That's all I'm saying. We try, we try not to. Even, even guys like Ryan Reynolds were like, "Don't do this. This is a bad idea." And they didn't. Listen. And the only reason he went through with it was because they told him, "If you do it, we'll give you a Deadpool movie." And it still took him. Look how many, look how many years, years right? Fighting, right? Ten years of him constantly fighting, and him and what was it, Tim Miller? I think put forward a lot of the funding to even get the movie as it is. Cause they were like, no, no, we're not actually going to do this. Even though they told them, no, no, if you do it this way, you'll, you'll get it, man. Yeah. And so we had to have, but you know what? I feel like, um, he, Ryan Reynolds has effectively erased that bullshit, that bad taste out of our mouths. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, like that. That, that, that. And, and give him a lot of credit too, because there was a, a few things where, like, I remember reading an interview with him or watching an interview with him, mm-hmm. where they were like, "Oh, well, how are you going to market Deadpool to girls?" And he's like, "We don't. Facts. Girls like comics too. Facts. We just market it as a comic book movie, and girls will watch it. You don't need it. to." play it up any other way and everyone's like wait no yeah you do it's like no, no you, you don't, don't. You really girls don't. like comics just as much as guys they know who deadpool is they know uh what he's about they're expecting him to be about that so stop it that's the nonsense yeah. you know so it's like that's one of the other things i really love about him not just even in that role but 
consistently, he stands up and he's done that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, that's a fact. That's a fact. So, um, I'm looking forward to see where that goes. Um, you know, we, we yeah. shall see. So, the next story. I am hyper excited about this. Hyper, hyper, in fact. Lucifer Renewal. Once again, it looks like Lucifer is rising from the ashes of mortality and its unprecedented run on television will continue once more. Netflix rescued the popular DC Comics adaptation from cancellation after its third season, giving Lucifer another chance at life at the streaming service. It was then announced that season five would be the end of the series. Not so fast, as Netflix changed its mind and confirmed that Lucifer will indeed be back for a sixth season in the future. There is some not-so-good news that comes with this announcement, however. The sixth season of Lucifer will indeed be its last. That shouldn't be too big of a deal, though, seeing as how the show has had a couple of final seasons already. We're all used to hearing it by now. According to the Twitter announcement from the official Lucifer account, this one will really be the last one. The devil made us do it, reads the tweet. Lucifer will return for sixth and final season, like final final. Um, the news of this final renewal comes just a day after Netflix released the first teaser for the highly anticipated fifth season of Lucifer, announcing that the next batch of episodes will be released August 21st. See, I haven't even seen that trailer, so now I must that, that will teaser. Ooh, that's going to be interesting because August 21st for season 5 of Lucifer and what is it? The 22nd Fandomus? Yeah! Yeah! That's going to be kind of strange. Man, August might be kind of lit. Yeah, right. but I mean, I, I, I can imagine that's going to have a bit of a negative impact on Netflix's streaming Probably. of it. Because like, usually it's that first weekend, right, that they go off yep. how yep. many views. And given that one of those days during that weekend is literally that big DC event. Like, I imagine a lot of people who are into the show but not necessarily comic people yeah. still watch it yeah but that's still a good chunk of people who that's won't true. be watching it one of those days because they're going to be exploring everything they can from fandom that's true i know i will but i'm, I'm gonna find a way to get it all in because i i know first of all no one multitask well no one forget what they tell you nobody multitask well Hey, 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 that's not true. I am great at multitasking. I look and feel like shit right now, let me tell you that. Look, man, uh, uh, look, I'm trying to tell you, I will be doing both. Oh, I I plan on it. I'll be doing both, so... We gonna, I'm gonna figure even, something even out. if it means I only finish half the season before and then Facts. half after, I'll find Facts. a way to do both that weekend. Facts. Um... So it says, even though season five was initially planned as the end of the series on Netflix, star Tom Ellis reached an agreement in his contract for a sixth season earlier this year. Once that transpired, it made a sixth installment seem like a near certainty. Are you looking forward to the sixth and final season of Lucifer next year? Uh, hell yeah. Yes. The fifth season of Lucifer will premiere on Netflix, like we said, on August 21st. The first four seasons of the series are currently available to stream on the service, and I just might uh, binge watch that again just to have something to do while I'm working. So, yeah, those, that's the news for today. So this uh, 
Which leads us to the main topic of the, the of today's episode. We are this time last week we did the Marvel fan cast. Well, this time we're doing DC. Got to show DC some love because DC is a dope company for real. You know, people. I think sometimes people forget that, but they had some really classic stories and characters over there. Um, oh yeah. So I, what I did was I looked at the list that you that you had, and really I agree with the majority of these, but I have a couple of um, substitutions. So I'm gonna let you go through it, and then the ones where I have the substitutions, I'll interject with uh, the ones I think would also be good in that role. All right. So to start it off, I'll go with Vandal Savage mm. as Timothy Omenson. Again, he has that kind of look. He does. He has that voice. He can he can sort of command that presence. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I feel like giving him, in this case, it's probably his least religious role that I would sort of know him from. Right. But it would still be like a big commanding role. That's something where you, once you take out Darkseid, Vandal Savage is probably one of the bigger cosmic threats. Agreed, agreed, agreed. I have um, someone else that I think could fit the role as well. He, and, and the thing is, dude is actually taller than I thought he was. Odeed Fahar. He has played in all of the, uh, well, not all of them, but I know the first two, Mummies as... Um, he was the, uh, the was it, what did they call themselves? Not the Mujahideen, but he was the guy. He was he was the guy that was hooked up with this ancient order. That oh, the Hashishin. Yeah, this ancient that that those guys who were supposed to protect the pharaoh, and um, he came to the aid of uh, uh, O'Connor in the first movie and in the second movie. And he was pretty badass, but I thought he was short, maybe because O'Connor is, is tall. The guy that plays O'Connor, uh, Brendan Fraser, he's tall, but um, um, Odeed is like 6'2". He's taller than I am. I, I had no idea because he looked short on the screen standing next to um, Brendan Fraser. But I could definitely see him playing Vandal Savage. He's got a bit of that ethnic that, thing going fair. on. You know? That's fair. Um, so, Continue. Next up, I would have Alan Tudyk as Oliver Queen or Green Arrow. Mm. Now, this one, he kind of looks like he'd probably need to get a bit more in shape. But, mm-hmm. I mean, he's also that? he's also been fairly well known mm-hmm. for voicing Green Arrow and all the animated stuff. Oh, really? Yes. Oh. But he's also, he's he's kind of got the look. Right. But, I mean, he's also well-known. He was in Serenity and Firefly's Watch. Yep, yep. He was in A Knight's Tale as Watt. Mm-hmm. Like, he's been in a lot of, you know, nerd and geek, geek culture. Yeah, favorite. that's true. That's true. And, like, I feel like he could pull, he has what it takes to pull off a, a maybe less serious than the Arrowverse style. Right, Green right. Which, which like, is if, if you're looking original. more towards, like, the Justice League. I was about to say, uh, yeah. Cartoons, yeah. right? Yeah. He, he, and, of course, he voiced that, so, of course, he would. But I feel like he'd be good for doing a, a movie type for that. Yeah, I don't I don't disagree with that at all. Um, that's why when I saw it, I was like, yeah, yeah I, could, I, could, I could see it. But the only, the, the only thing, only person I think beyond him that would be really great in that role is the guy they already had playing it. 
I feel like Stephen Amell does not get enough credit. Oh, he nails it. I mean, dude, like, it's one thing for the script and the showrunner to nail all the necessary superhero tropes, right? Because they did, especially that first season. That first season nails nails them all. But to get an actor in there who is physical enough to play him and it's and actually kind of intimidating when he has that mask on and the hood on, but then then play the other side of it when he's just Oliver Queen, where he's not this you know uh, um, menacing character or whatever. I think that was pretty dope. And like I said, Stephen is a very physical oh, yeah. character. He, he nailed it. Yeah, I was more going with you know they had didn't use Grant Gustin for that, even though Flash was around before. Yeah, yeah, BBS I was, mad. I was mad at that. I kind of assumed they weren't going to use this, and same they probably movie. won't. They probably won't. Like they don't have a they don't have a history of doing that. So I, you yeah. know, I wouldn't I wouldn't imagine that they would um, seek Stephen Amell. But I I just saw Stephen in another a Netflix film dealing with superpowers and all of that. So it's like, oh, I think I saw trailers for that. Yeah, it, it's actually not bad. And he plays a, a telekinetic in there, particularly Paul. Yeah. That. Um, that's not bad, man. Like, I really, I, I, like, I would love to see him don that just one more time. I think the pop he would receive the first time he got on the screen, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it would be. But it's just not something DC does. Some- yeah, he would get some good love too. He would. Everyone, he there's would. a reason those shows are so good. Right, right. So what's next? Uh, Supernatural star Jensen Ackles, aka Dean Winchester, <laughs> as Jason Todd. Man. Especially if you have an older Batman, like mm-hmm. again, if they go with Michael Keaton, you can work it in that way. Mm-hmm. If they go with even Jeffrey with Dean, Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Think about the pop, right? Yeah. Just think about the pop. Jeffrey, Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Morgan, if they go with, even with Ben Affleck, even it with, would man, still work. Man. The only one where it would struggle to work is if it was Robert Pattinson because he's still young. As Jensen well. Ackles looks older than. Yes, he does. I mean, I think he is a bit older, but also definitely looks older where. Ben Affleck, even though he's older, you can make him look older. You can make Jensen look a bit That's younger true. to really balance it out. That's true. But he's also voiced Jason yes, Todd as Red Hood yes, in animated, and he's also dress up. He he's has cosplayed at him, yeah, on his cosplay as him. Yep. yep, and for Halloween and stuff. Yep. So, yep. and he he pulls off the look. He nails it. He na- I have no replacement for that. That is, he's Jason Todd. He, somebody get yeah, on the phone. He, he could absolutely do that one. Yeah, hell yeah. Hell yeah. And what's next? Uh, next up, I have Guy Gardner, but instead of doing the Green Lantern one, mm-hmm. do the Red Lantern one. Oh, shit. Because I, I really did enjoy that Red Lantern's run that featured around Guy Gardner in the Red yeah, Lantern. Yeah, it was dope. It was dope. And have him played by... MCU villain Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> Since they already killed him off, allegedly, yo, I, like when I first saw that you had but that on the list, I was here, like, "Here's the thing: is like Jake Guy Gardner, even though he joined the Red Lanterns and mm-hmm. ultimately took it over, right? He wasn't a bad guy, right? Exactly. And that's the thing: he he's he's kind of the antihero. He's he's the Jason Todd of the Green Lanterns, right? 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 And 
here's where it's like I feel like you can give Jake Gyllenhaal the chance to play someone who's villainous adjacent, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's still a good guy with huge anger issues, right. huge. You know, he, he's angry. He feels disrespected and unwanted by most of the Green Lanterns. Like, right. Hell, they even pointed out the reason he was given the job to go undercover in the Reds was because of all the Green Lanterns that are based off of Earth, he's the most expendable and least liked. And he does have anger issues. I mean, let's face it. Yeah. Like, um, I remember when Batman knocked, just knocked him the fuck out for running his mouth. <laughs> like, like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know. Like, and there's a reason, like, most of the Justice League kind of doesn't like dealing with guys. That's why he's a dick. He's, he's, he's kind of a dick. So it's like, yeah, he, he's hyper-aggressive. But you know what? The, the reason I like Guy Gardner is, yes, he can be a dick to other heroes and all of that, but he's also a dick to the villains. Oh, yeah, And they sure. need that. <laughs> they need and- that. One of the things I enjoyed was during that Red Lanterns run, he at, like he ended up taking over the Red Lanterns. Right. But he also kind of grew as a leader. He kind of grew close to a couple of the people and with two of the other characters ended up destroying the Red Lanterns as a whole. Right, right. Like obviously something like that's never going to stick. They're eventually they're gonna they're gonna work yeah. they're gonna work back a couple whether yeah. it's through another crisis event another absolutely. Earth, whatever absolutely because there, there, there's got to be a red lantern somewhere and right? they're very but, popular actually so I don't foresee but that. It, like it showed them grow as a leader managed to convert a couple of the other red lanterns to mm-hmm. still while still being red lanterns being good guys instead of just lashing out and using that rage everyone using that rage he was using that rage for productive things just and got to the point where he straight up negotiated with the green lantern corps to have red lanterns protect various districts as well it's pretty sometimes green sometimes not like it, it was really well done very good character growth and we need to see more of that in comic books um so that these characters don't get stuck you know, in a certain type of um, personality where they almost become a caricature of themselves. So, yeah, yeah. That, that's pretty good. Uh, next, you have... Next up, these two I'm doing together mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because while they both have some... They both have storylines and everything else on their own. Right. I feel like their best storylines happen to be when they're together. Agree. And that would be Booster Gold and the Ted Cord Blue Beetle. <laughs> and in in this case as well, we're also looking at something where we're taking a bit of a turn for what the DCEU has, where they've kind of been dark and grim. With these two, you almost have to go a bit more of a comedic. Yeah, like picture, you do. You do. Picture Thor Ragnarok almost buddy cop right, style, right? Right, right, right. Like you do something like that with Booster Gold and Ted Cord Blue Beetle. You can have a few serious moments, but they're at their best when they're together. And be, they're at their best be when they're being funnier. <laughs> right, right. And and honestly, is like the characters aren't bad, but nope. I don't think either character can carry a movie. I, mean, on their I, own. I agree. I agree. If you if you if you wrap it up in a buddy cop type movie. Um, it works. It works. I feel like it would better. work out really well. Yeah. Don't. And the, the actors I've chosen for this mm-hmm. are actors who also they, they've acted together in an old 
older, I say, not old, but older Disney series. Mm-hmm. One of them does a bunch of voice acting nowadays, and the other one does some acting, and they're both also on a sketch comedy YouTube channel together. So they have oh, that natural rapport. They're both, again, they're both kind of friends. They can poke the kind of fun at each other. Right. That Booster Gold and Ted Cord would. Right. Like, so even though they're not necessarily big names, they're guys who have that natural rapport and can almost have that type of friendship that the two characters would have, making it transition more seamlessly. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. And see, I didn't even think, because, um, like, I actually had somebody that I could all, I could also insert for Booster Gold, but these added uh, factors about them being already friends, already having a, a rapport and it not being just a solo movie for either yeah. one of them. I can definitely see the advantages all of that has to them pulling this off to the point where people actually like it. You know, um, this could be the equivalent of um, uh, Marvel's Ant-Man, just be DC com- DC's uh, cinematic universe. Yeah, like Ant-Man, Ant-Man and Wasp. Quirky, yeah, more... you know. Because you know who I had for Booster Gold too. Who'd you uh, have? Bradley Cooper. Bradley Cooper reminds yep. me of Booster Gold. <laughs> yeah, really I, I can see that. He really does. But again, he doesn't have quite the he doesn't have the same chemistry with Damian Haas. And like you said, no one's gonna do a Booster Gold movie, a solo boost. It's not happening. Yeah. Nobody's doing it. So that. yeah, who I chose for Booster Gold was Shane Top, mm-hmm. who actually has a regular role on the TV show The Goldbergs. So. Right, right. But him and Damien Haas, who I have for Ted Cord, were both on Disney's So Random, which is the sort of spinoff from the Demi Lovato show, Sunny yeah. with a Chance. Yeah. But they're both also on the sketch comedy YouTube channel that's been around since YouTube started, though they weren't on the channel initially. Right. They're both on Smosh. Oh, Okay. Like that channel's been around since YouTube right. started. Yeah. Both, both of, I think Damien's been on Smosh for like four years now, and Shane's been on there for five or six now. Right. And like they, they, they do a bit of everything. Like they both do some writing, they both do some directing and producing, mm-hmm. but they both do all the acting. But there's like some that's improv comedy and some like them gaming and making jokes and stuff. But like Damien Haas also has a bunch of voiceover work. Yeah, he He's does. He's done yep. voiceover work with uh, Red Dead Redemption mm-hmm. 2, mm-hmm. with GTA 5, mm-hmm. Halo. He, he's done quite a bit of stuff for voiceover work. So it's like, you know what? Like, even if his mainstream acting hasn't really been done in a few years. Yeah, he still could pull it off. It, it's not like he doesn't still yeah, work still in there. the industry. Yeah, he's still in there, still applying his chops so to speak. Um, and plus, you know, yeah, these guys like, are young, they, they, so it, 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 it yeah, fits. It like, fits. They're, they're young enough that you can still move forward 10 years in the role and still right. not necessarily be old. Exactly. You know, it's like, it's not like one of those guys where they're already 35, you can play them once in their, like, 20s type thing, and after that, it's like, okay, you're you're visibly old now. You it's can't use hard it anymore. Yeah, yeah. Here, it's like, they're... They're both like mid to late twenties right now. Yeah, like they're both young. So and and Shane does look, also look like Boost Gold. <laughs> he got, yeah, he also has that that yeah. goofy look. So yeah, and, and again, they are both actually fucking hilarious. Right, 
So that kind of, again, if you're going for a, for a buddy cop type thing, mm-hmm. that's where you kind of want to go for is, you know, guys who can pull off that humor instinctively. Right. They can take various things and roll with it. Yeah, I, I, I'm with it. I'm here for it. Uh, I love what you did with ne- the next one, though. The next one is the guy who got a lot of love in our last episode. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. But I have Luke Evans playing Sinestro. And it's still perfect. Yo, why is he so perfect for these roles? And the thing is, is instead of focusing on a Green Arrow franchise or a Green Lantern franchise starting with Hal Jordan. Right, right. You can almost start the franchise off with Luke Evans as Sinestro. I, yo, it's Do like outside the, the box. Fir- the first movie is more focused around Sinestro's time as a Green Lantern and maybe near the end of it. Hal Jordan like, gets introduced. Like thir- third act type thing. Right. You introduce Hal Jordan. Second movie is more like their budding friendship. And again, halfway through, you really start seeing Hal Jordan questions Sinestro about his methods and yeah, everything. Yeah. And the third movie, you're talking full on Green Lanterns versus Yellow Lanterns. I'm here for And it. him playing as Sinestro there. And that's where you can also work in introducing someone like Guy Gardner as right, a Green Lantern. You right, can right. Introduce John Stewart. You can introduce the other Green Lanterns while still focusing it as almost a two story, two stories about the same event focusing on Sinestro and Hal Jordan. It's a smart tactic uh, because uh, here lately, that's where a lot of film companies are going with giving the villain some spotlight instead of just making him this thing off in the corner that he's, he's only really used to challenge the hero. Um, they've been focusing like Thanos in, in Infinity War. That was his fucking movie. You know, yeah, um, for sure. Joker, you know, focusing in on the on the villain as a well, way. Like in this case, you're developing the villain from when he used to be a, a hero. hero, right? So yeah, yeah. Actually, like, like I said, if you start the first movie off as him there, and then the second movie, you see his turn into villainy, and the third movie is sort of like the final climax good versus evil his protege versus him and it kind of it, it get what it does is it helps to build uh him into a sympathetic character you know what i mean like yeah you follow his exploits like, in the beginning you're rooting for him and, and even when you know those things start to turn him a bit you're still kind of on his side because it's like if they do it right whatever turns him will at least be ambiguous enough morally to have a lot of us like, I don't know, man. I'm kind of understanding yeah. what why he did what he did, <laughs> you know? Well, and having a good sympathetic villain that you can plan long-term around is huge. Like, yeah. Again, well, in this, Thanos wasn't necessarily sympathetic, but it, he was a big enough villain they built around him. Right, But right. look at Loki. Yeah, right? yeah. He, he became... Partially because Tom Hiddleston just nailed the role and yes, made everyone love him. Yes, he did. But also, like, you kind of saw where he was coming from. You kind of felt his betrayal when he found out he yeah. was a frost giant. Like, and, and nobody you, you told saw him. The stuff. And then, yeah, and how he it kind of came off like, yes, he was always told he was equal, but he was never going to be king and, of and, Asgard. And to go even further into the comic book uh, realm where a lot this source material is coming from, you know, you can make the argument 
that Odin kept him around for more than just an attempt at, at appeasement between the two peoples, but also because he needed a foil for which uh, Thor would define himself. Power. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? So, like, they gave Thor everything. He, he was the but favorite yeah. prince. But, like, he became a very sympathetic villain. He yeah. became a villain where... Yeah, he was evil, but you almost sympathized with how he got there. You understood and then, like, it. You kind of understood yeah. it. Yeah. Like, and then, again, you sort of saw it in Thor Ragnarok, where he was, despite not being a good guy, was not the bad guy. He was not right? the bad like, guy, and some might say and he, he was he even heroic. The day. Yeah, he, he was, saved <laughs> the day. Exactly. At the end of it, he saved the day. Exactly. So, just saying, like, we always get, that. that's when you know somebody did really good with a role of the villain. Is when, um, like, even though when he did all of his little fuck shit, you didn't hate him. You still didn't hate Everybody him. Everybody was on his side. Yeah, you know, like, even if you disagree with what he did, he was like, but still, you got you, you kind of got to fuck with Loki, right? You got to, like, you kind of got to. So, yeah. that's and that's why when he do, does do things that are heroic, you, he gets Everyone the biggest pop. Nuts. Right, and he gets the biggest Everyone pop. Everyone goes nuts. Like, yeah, yeah, this is it, because he was... He was always sympathetic, and we were mm-hmm. just waiting for a reason to cheer for him. Right, right. And that was it, you know? That was it. And then when they killed him, In Infinity you felt War, it. it was like, yo, he, he straight up tried to merk Thanos yeah. and he outmatched. <laughs> he just, there was yeah, no way yeah. he was going to win that. He knew it, but he was willing to give it a shot exactly. to save his brother. Exactly. To save what was left of his people, even though they weren't his people per se. Right. But you know, the, the question like, I yo. always had about that scene was, is Loki's um, blades made of Uru? Because if they are, he would have at least cut them. If they're Uru, because uh, Stormbreaker is They never Uru, answered that. They, they never, never answered it. They never answered that. I often wondered, what, are those knives made of Uru? Because if they are... He wouldn't have killed Thanos because you're not going to kill Thanos with some little puny dagger. But he would have cut him. He definitely would have cut him. We'll never know. Would have made him think twice. Yeah. We'll never know, though. But the death scene, and it happened happened early enough in the film where it set the tone. Him beating the Hulk's ass and him killing Loki set the tone. And that entire movie is like, yo, okay. So what we what and then we, the end of it after like Thor hits him right oh, in the chest man, and he just yeah. looks him dead in the eyes. Yeah. You should have gone oh, for, for the, the head, head. <laughs> and snapped. And it's like he again oh. it continued that tone. Beats yeah. the f- ever living <laughs> shit out of the Hulk to the point yeah. where Hulk won't come out anymore. Right, right. He kills Loki, and then right when Thor thinks he finally won, nope, looks Still him in the eye. And ruins him. Absolutely yeah, just him. devastates him psychologically. Yeah, he did. Right? He like, definitely did. He was, he was a ruined man who kind of had to rediscover himself in Endgame. That's a fact. That's a fact. That's a fact. Because before then, he even said it when he was talking to um to Rocket. Like, he's 1,500 years old. He's killed twice as many people as he is old. And all of them would have rather him been the one dead. And he's still, he's still around, standing. right? So that that really took something that that took a lot out of him, because you know, if you're that old and you've killed that amount of people in battle, or excuse me, twice that many amount of people in battle, you can get 
ain't pretty. You see why he's kind of arrogant. His arrogance yeah. justified is justified. It's like, yo, I will beat. I've beaten people's asses my entire life. Like this guy shouldn't be that big of a deal, and yet <laughs> here we are. Here we are. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, like, I think having a good sympathetic villain would be huge. I agree. For the DCEU. It would be great for them. As long as the script was right, it would be great for them. And Luke Evans is a national treasure. I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, man, um, I, I, I'm here for we it. We love Luke Evans over here. Yeah, this is the Luke Evans show. Um, <laughs> so Next up. Next up. We we kind of touched on this a little bit before. Yeah, yeah. Where you, where we we saw Michael Jai White say he would love to play the role. Yeah. We you were talking about David Ramsey who plays John yep. Diggle and Air, yep. Arrow play the role. Mm-hmm. But for the role of John Stewart, Idris Elba. I mean, it kind of writes itself. Like the dude is iconic for that kind of role. Like yeah. Again, that built, muscular, hard ass. Yeah, yeah. John hard Stewart, ass. John Stewart's a Marine. Yeah. So yeah. Like you, yeah. Again, look, yeah. like look at him as Heimdall. Idris Elba. Oh yeah. Especially when you saw him in uh, like Ragnarok, you saw him fighting Hela and all of Hela's forces. Yeah, and all that yeah, stuff. yeah. And you can imagine what that would be. If he were like a Green Lantern doing that kind of thing, and you can, it's easy to see. It is. It really is. Like there was also talk about him potentially being the next James Bond for a while too. Again, yeah. partially because you can see that kind of thing. He from has him. that same. Um, he has the same energy Daniel uh, Craig has. He, he has that. You know, he can be a hard ass, and. Yeah. It's convincing. And look good doing right. it. <laughs> right, right, right. It's, it's convincing. So, yeah, I could see him. I definitely, no no argument about Idris Elba, none. And next up, this one I feel like would be a heavily voice, right? It would be heavily voice. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's less the physical appearance and it's more the voice because right. this kind of role would be heavily CGI. Absolutely. But Atrocitus of the Red Lanterns, the leader of it before Guy Gardner takes it over, mm-hmm. voiced by John Hamm. I, I have no uh, reservations about that at all. None. John right? John Hamm's a good actor on his own. Yep, like a great actor yep. on his own. And he has that kind of voice where I feel like it wouldn't take much for him to make it like raspy and threatening well you know they'll 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 just audio they'll audio mix that shit yeah i feel like they won't even really need to do a whole lot of that Mm -hmm. so that gives him a chance to play like atrocities the big villain the red lantern villain like atrocities is is a badass man he's just oh yeah it's a bad the only soft spot he has is for dexter i was about to ask that so i do actually have a uh, fan casting for Dexter too. Oh, okay. T'Challa. Listen, listen. <laughs> My Siamese cat can. He's already. He already acts like Dexter. I mean, everywhere I goddamn go, he's following. He's right here now. He follows everywhere I go. Like I'm Atrocitus and shit. So I'm just saying. T'Challa just throw your cat. I'm just throwing it up, throwing it out there. But no, I have. <laughs> I, I, I have no doubt. 
can you imagine? They CGI'd out Atrocitus, right? Of course. He's big. He's got all that red whatever coming out of his mouth. And T'Challa's on the shoulder. <laughs> that would be hilarious. <laughs> oh, yeah. That would be great. That would be hilarious. Send, look, send his paycheck here. Um, we'll make sure he has the absolute best of everything. Um, as a matter of fact, we'll move him someplace that he would enjoy uh, Belize. Um, <laughs> just saying, give the cat a chance. Give him a chance. I, I have no problems with um, this is for for Atrocitus because, as you said, it's not about physicality here. It's about his voice and his acting ability. You know, so yeah, they got short ass. Um, who was that that played uh, Thanos and Cable? Uh, Josh Brolin. They got short ass Josh Brolin to play Thanos. They put the CGI shit all on him, the cameras and all of that, and. It's about the acting and the voice. It's about being able to portray that. So I don't see no reason why John Hamm couldn't do any of that. No reason. That is a good choice. Actually, all of these are great choices. Too bad no one's listening to us. But um, yet, 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 yet. But they will. They will. <laughs> or else. Or else. <laughs> so that's the show, folks. Um, appreciate you guys for listening. We have um, a lot on the plate for the next for the next episode too, so be prepared. And I'm working on us getting a guest um, at some point. Graden Square yeah. might pop up in here, talk comic books because he's heavily on that now as well. So you know, just keep your fingers crossed. See if we can make that happen. Um, so for my man Cyrus the Virus, I am Tombstone the Dead Man, and we are. Metas and mutants. We'll talk to you guys later. Peace. Peace.